listening to C3 Church Vancouver podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. Church Vancouver podcast. We know you'll be blessed by this message. And 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 to be filled, you've got to be emptied. And so I wouldn't be surprised if some of you are going through already a preparatory stage of emptying. That God is already working on you. And then you might wonder, what is all this about? Why am I going through this stuff? Why am I having to let go? Why am I having to surrender? Why do I have to surrender that, Lord? I thought you gave me that. And he says, I did, just for a time. You know, and there comes, there comes in the process to be filled, we have to be emptied. Another thing is, sometimes, sometimes we're, we're left to walk in the wildernesses, sometimes of our own making, but not always. You know that God, the Spirit, we'll see this in a moment, leads you into the wilderness. Why? You get thirsty. You get desperate. And you walk through a circumstantial part of life where you can't rely on your capacity, your talent, your whatever, and the things that you can do to produce, to create joy, well, never really joy, but happiness, you know. It's just not working for you. And you get so desperate, you start to cry because you're thirsty, you know. My heart pants like the deer pants for the water. We're singing, take me to the river, you know. And so when we, when we release the word about being filled with the Holy Spirit and about God's intention to come and fill the space, there's some other things that are probably I'm letting, opening the door to that, you know, you, you and I are going to process through. Um, wilderness to get thirsty, uh, uh, emptying uh, um, to, so that he can fill us, you know. Um, another, another thing uh, is, you know, the issue of repentance, now, for the, for the evangelical Pentecostal mind, you immediately come down to, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls that do, and I'm not going to do any of those things anymore, you know? But that ain't it. The repentance that I'm talking about is the change of heart that says, God, there's nothing else that wants to fill my life like you, and there's nobody else that I want, and I want to turn from other pursuits. And if there's sin in my life, God, show me, get the stuff out that's not conducive to a holy life because you are the Holy Spirit, right? You know, you know sin, as we were learning last night with this amazing, intelligent man, he said the West, you know, Jeff asked him a, a very, I thought it was an awesome question, you know, about what, what does he see about the West, about our culture that we're lacking so much in from where he comes. And he said, the West doesn't define sin anymore. Basically, he's saying that. We're, sin, sin's not in our vernacular. We don't have a definition for it anymore. What we've actually done, we've, we've watered it. We've washed it away. We no longer, you know. And therefore, God, God, God has to do a job on us to bring us to that point of conviction that these things are not good. Not only that, they're wrong. You know? But when you're coming into the Holy Spirit, you want God and the power of God in your life. There is all of this that takes place. And so if some, some sort of close-up and personal sense of God getting on you, and you start to go, oh God, and you're realizing your heart's beating a bit faster, church. you've got to offload this stuff before the Lord. That's because He's preparing you for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Peter said, when the people on the day of Pentecost asked him, how do we get this? He said, this is, this is, the, this is the deal. Repent and be baptized and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, make this big change. Turn to Jesus and turn away from the way that you've been living and go through the waters of baptism and demonstration that you're all the way with God and you watch God will meet you in the doing. And so this morning, I'm not sure what's going to happen at the end here and it might be just quite normal. But I don't mind if I'm lighting a wick that somewhere in this year, through process, we all start to encounter God in a very, very powerful, fresh and new way. I need it. I want it. You know, traveling the world, doing things. You know, I go into other environments where basically they make me look good because they're living in revival. So I come in there and it touches my gift and 
But I'm, I'm no fool on that. I walk out and say, wow, it's as much about where they're at and what I, what I was stepping into that released that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So we're going to open up in Luke chapter 1 on your iPhone. I love to carry a Bible. I like to think that perhaps some of you will too. But anyway, that's another, that's another thing. But I want to read over Luke 1. And so because it's, well, I kind of want to skim over it in a way. Uh, but if, if, you, if you sit down in your time with God on a personal level and want to get in behind what's going on with Luke writing, I've done a course that I, that I teach, and I want to teach it here in the spring, um, called The Meaning of Acts. Not the meaning of things you do, but the meaning of the book of Acts. Not, not from a history point of view, but what was the intention of it being written? Why did Luke do what he did? And what was, his, what was, his, what was he up to? And it'll, it'll surprise you. And this, in a way, is a, a, a precursor to that. This is a way, an introductory to that, and perhaps that's one of the reasons we're talking about it. It's been so much in my studies. But if you go into the book of Luke and just read over and read over, say, chapter 1, just keep reading it, after a while there's some nuances that you pick up that you don't get when you're just connecting with the words and the, and the flow of the story um, that it is talking about, uh, you know, the nativity, that it's talking about the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. When you, when you just, just get it, this is the beginning of the Jesus story, and you start to, to, to follow the logical sequence of the, of the text here, um, you, you get wrapped in the story that we know so well, and there's another problem there of familiarity breeds contempt. We, we skim it, because we know that. We know that. Yeah, I know that. You know, we, must, we, we move on. We, the, we, it's not like we're looking to be informed. But if you stop and read it over, and then read it over again, and then read it over again, and then read it over again, and get past what you know, you'll find that there's some nuance there. There's some things that are sort of said but not said. Uh, there's some emphases. There's something bleeding up through the text that perhaps your first engagement never engaged with. And I want to show you a couple of these things right now, the nuances. So if you read it over and over and over again in this narrative, you'll find that this text, Luke chapter 1, basically, is built around four identities, four people. The uh, Let me just quickly look here for you. Uh, if you're writing notes, but uh, the birth of John the Baptist. Some Bibles have these little headings for you. They, they do help. Um, so the first, the first entity, that's uh, the first person that's sort of spending time uh, with in the, in the narrative is the birth of John, John, John the Baptist. Um, and uh, then the second one is Mary herself, from, from about uh, uh, verse uh, uh, 26 uh, on, uh, she, the, the angel comes to Mary, and there's Mary. Now, of course, you know, this is what, we know this, and she's high profile, we know this. And then, um, verse 40, uh, you get Mary's engagement with Elizabeth. So, Elizabeth is the third um, entity that comes up here, and she goes down to her, um, what is it, her cousin or something like that, and, uh, and there, there, there she is with Elizabeth. And then there's finally there's um, Zechariah, who's Elizabeth's husband. And, and, and as we come um, near the end, we have this story of Zechariah, it's very short, um, having some kind of encounter with the angel, and uh, he gets struck dumb, because where Mary said, how shall these things be, with some sort of leaning into the idea that she's going to have this miracle uh, produced on the inside, he goes with his own wife, who's, who's really... Um, She's barren, and, and, and it's not a virgin birth. So, you know, it's just that, in, in, in a sense, I don't I hope you don't get me wrong here, but his plumbing is being fixed. And, um, and, and, he, and he's still doubting himself, and he goes, well, how's that going to happen? You know, he's going like, it don't work, you know. Uh, how shall these things? Basically the same question. It all depends which way you lean, you know. How's, how, how's that going to happen? Well, how's that going to happen? You know, 
Mary or Zechariah. That, uh, that's another message. You should have been here five years ago when I preached that. <laughs> so four entities, John, Mary, Elizabeth, and Zechariah. But here's another nuance. In every one of those entities, there's a reference to being in relationship to the Holy Spirit. You go, well, sure, that's in the Bible, right? The Holy Spirit's all over the world. No, it ain't. Not so, not so concentrated in one passage. And if you go over and over in the chapter, you'll see there, of course, uh, you've probably got it on screen behind me, but um, you know, John is said to be filled with the Spirit in verse 15. He must not drink wine uh, um, or stronger drink, uh, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And then Mary has said, uh, the, the angel says to her in verse 35, you know, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Filled with the Holy Spirit, John, from his birth, and Mary, you're going to be overshadowed. He's, the Holy Spirit's coming upon you. And the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And then Elizabeth, it says in verse 40, ah, oh, beautiful Elizabeth when she has this encounter. And, and she also, it says, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, I tell you. Is it verse 40? I don't know where it is. Somewhere. Down there somewhere. What was it again? 41. And then Zechariah. Verse 67. I'm just taking the moment because I'm wanting to address it. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. There's a nuance. Four entities who are somewhat marked by this distinctive of an encounter or a relationship with the Holy Spirit. What is it about Luke? Why is that so important? But you, when you start to see it, you think, my gosh, that whole, that whole chapter is built around that. He's trying to say something. We have a little quip, Catherine and I, comes out of when she was a kid. So what are you trying to say? You know, you say this, you say this. If you repeat a certain phrase, somebody just go, in our family go, so what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say, Luke? Giving a kind of a sneak peek forward. But Luke lights the wick right there in Luke chapter 1. A wick of where he's going in the whole of Scripture. Get this, Gentile, Luke, Gentile. Not, not one of the 12. He writes two of the biggest books in the New Testament, if not the biggest in terms of length. And they're both very similar size. Gentile, not one of the 12. A latecomer, an outlier. And if we didn't have Luke's writing, we wouldn't know about Pentecost. Luke has a fundamental sense of the importance of the coming of the Spirit. And so when he lights this wick in the story of Jesus, he's putting this in here. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. This wick is sizzling along through his gospel. And it says that, Jesus went down into the waters and he was baptized and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself gets filled. He who was born of the Spirit is now filled with the Holy Spirit. The wick's still bubbling, sizzling along. Luke 4 verse 1. and says that he returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There you go. At your peak experience, you've got to go over the peak and down the other side. <laughs> and Jesus is led, filled with the Spirit. Led. Sometimes they have to help people who have an amazing encounter with God, and then they go through a tough time. They go, Where, have I lost it? I go, no, you haven't lost it. You've, you're doing what happened to Jesus. You got filled, and now you're being led into the wilderness. What happens there? The Bible tells us very clearly 
in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, that Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And what happens? That which gets in you begins to formulate and strengthen. And when you face your temptations, when you face the devil's uh, desire to knock you out of your mission call and whatever, all this amazing um, dimension that is coming into your life is for uh, work through that, there's a point where you now come out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. You see that wick is still burning. And eventually, he who was filled with the Spirit, who returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, returns in the power of the Spirit out of the wilderness, and he comes into his hometown, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, and in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, he finds the passage, and then he reads it out. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. And from that moment on, Jesus explodes into ministry. And when you follow Luke's record of the ministry of Jesus, you'll find the activity of the supernatural is his highlighting issue. The thing that he follows most. You know, John, John follows a major conversation with Jesus more distinctly. Matthew picks up all kinds of prophetic intent about the Messiahship and the kingdom. But, but I mean, they all do because they all had the same teacher and, and were recording his, his event. But Luke highlights this engagement with the power of God. That wick is sizzling all the way along. So there's the nuance. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've got another little heading here called the numbers. <laughs> the nuance, the numbers. Filled with the Spirit occurs 17 times, that phrase. 17 times throughout all of Scripture. But it's only used by three Bible writers. Hey, let's think about this for a minute. 17 times, filled with the Spirit, or, or one close to it, full of the Holy Spirit. Basically the same words in the Greek. Only... 17 times, but by only three writers. The first writer that uses, or it's uh, recorded that he uses, is Moses, Old Testament, three times. Three times Moses refers to this little phrase, or uses this little phrase, and he uses it descriptively of a man called Bezalel. Bezalel was a man that the Bible says, and I'll read it, um, uh, Exodus 35, 31, he, was, he has filled him, that is, God has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship. Another place says he's been filled with the Spirit of wisdom. There's a little interesting use in the Old Testament. The whole idea is that Bezalel has a, a talent and a gift on which God has moved, and he has got this amazing wisdom, creativity, and workmanship that on the, 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 the spirit touch on his giftedness begins to operate in a certain way, and he's the guy that builds the furniture of the tabernacle, designs it, makes it, whatever. He's the guy that makes the priest vestments, which were very beautiful uh, garments. He, 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 he's in charge of all of that. And he's got an anointing to do it. There's an anointing to come on your talent. There's an anointing to come on your gift. You know that. You know, you have a natural talent. You're very proficient at something. But when the gift of the Holy Ghost gets on it, it turns from talent to ministry. And there's exponential results that have, that have to do with the purposes of God and eternity that you can't otherwise just have just through the sheer exercise of gift and talent in terms of natural gift. But that natural gift and talent is God-given. That's how He's designed you. So whichever way it comes, it comes from God, but there's this overlay, there's this other dimension. And the Old Testament concept is very much on that. And it, and it, and it, and it talks more about the Spirit coming upon a person. In fact, Jesus reflects that when he reads uh, out of Isaiah in Luke 4.18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. Because the Old Testament concept is a prophet, and the Spirit of the Lord came on Elijah, you know? And suddenly he burst into flame, you know? And the Spirit of the Lord came on this leader, or the Spirit of the Lord came on David. It's like this, there are momentary experiences when God shifts onto the person, and the person revelates. <laughs> Out it comes. But the New Testament takes it a whole dimension further. So Moses uses it three times in respect to a gift, a talent, 
coming under that touch. But listen to this. Luke uses it 13 times. Now remember there's only 17 in Scripture. 13 times. Filled with the Spirit. It's almost like Luke owns the phrase. 13 times in relation to the person of the Holy Spirit. We've read a number of them there in Luke chapter 1, and we've referred to the other ones in, in Luke chapter 4. But can, can, can you spare me just the moment to read a few, not to bore you, but to bore it into you? Come on, this is Bible. Luke, oh, sorry, Luke, well, I might as well say it, but Acts, Acts, you know, he wrote it. But Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came, upon, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a seminal moment in history. And in the Word of God, I made the comment to you, this, it, it takes a Gentile. You know, Matthew, who was there, doesn't tell us about this. John, who was there, doesn't tell us about this. Bartholomew, who was there, didn't write anything and leave anything to us. Well, we haven't found it yet. You know, all those other, they didn't, no, I mean, heck. You were the guys that walked with Jesus, whom Jesus prepared for this moment. Said, you hang in Jerusalem and wait. And it takes a doctor with investigative powers. Half a generation later, like 80, 60, the late 80s, 60s, who's retrospectively getting around the remaining apostles and the people who were there to get the story. And he's taken notes. He's like Frank Sturck, who wrote that book, uh, uh, what was it, The Streams in the Negev, about the history of the church in Vancouver. You need to get that book. Thanks, Frank. I just gave you a plug. But he sat down with Patty and I at the interview, and his little tape recorder going, you know, picking up stuff. And that was Luke. And he got the story of this. And it's a major part. It's the turning point of the New Testament. We shift from the, the gospel account of the story and narrative of Jesus' life on earth and we shift into Jesus' heavenly ministry through the church. And from there on, from Acts, we have the epistles, the outworking of all that discipleship on the 12. But the day of Pentecost is the focal point, the swinging it all happens there. It's the tipping point. What a seminal moment in history. And yet the other guys don't write about it. I don't know. They were there. But Luke sees something very important. He's, he, Luke's living in the light of, a, of an insight that he's now gifted to the church his writings for. Acts chapter 4, verse 8. Come on, I said I'm going to bore it into you. Acts chapter... Chapter 4 and um, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, rulers of the people and elders, if you were being examined today, and blah, blah, blah. He, 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 he's called before the Sanhedrin. The, the, the persecution from the Jews is starting to work up for the first time on the church. And, and when Peter gets in, 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 hauled up there, it says, and Peter being filled or filled with the Holy Spirit begins to make his answer. Do you remember Jesus saying to them, when you get under persecution and they haul you before kings and judges and that, don't worry about what you're going to say, but when you get there, I'm going to put it in you and you're going to say it. Well, here's the first moment of that in the record of the text. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak in defense of what was going on. Acts 4.31, I love this. You'll love this. We all want to be like this. Is it 31? My glasses are getting foggy, Patty. Here we go. That happens with Patty every time I get nearer. And, and, and when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. 
Coming out of that pressure moment, they get to praying. Remember this wilderness thing? Remember this process? And coming out, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak the word with boldness. Wow. Acts 9, 17. Acts 9, verse 17. Oh, my God. you got the story of Saul. Now, he becomes Paul. And Saul's blind. He just encountered Jesus, got struck blind, gets into Damascus, and he's sitting in a house waiting because the Spirit said to him, God, Jesus said to him in that encounter, Jesus said to him in that encounter, you wait in that house and one's going to come to you, Ananias. Ananias is at home and he has an encounter with the Lord who says, you get down to that house. It's nice when God works on both ends. You know, it's really nice that God works on both ends. It's a bit sad when he doesn't because some guy gets, goes up to a girl and says, God told me you're going to marry me. And she said, well, God hasn't spoken to me about that. <laughs> and God's working on both ends. Ananias comes to the house. And in the process of this, verse 17, so Ananias departed into the house and laying his hands on Saul, on blind Paul, he said, he said brother Saul, now that's an inclusion. Up till then, he's been hating the church and everybody's running from him. And Ananias, having had a job done on him by the Holy Spirit, says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you... And he goes, how did you know that? Ananias had a word of knowledge. He had an insight. The Holy Spirit spoke. The Lord Jesus who spoke unto you, spoke to you on the road by which you came, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Saved Saul is now being filled with the Holy Spirit. Born of the Spirit, Saul is now having an encounter in which he's being filled with the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands of Ananias. Let me bore another one into you. 13, chapter 13. Verse 9. Hello, are you still in church? But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently and said, you son of the devil. <laughs> oh, God. There's this, there's this magician who's leading people astray into occult arts, plaguing them. And eventually, I mean, I'd like to be able to do it just once in my life, but the Lord won't let me because I think I, I think the Lord would say, you know, Fletch, you, you, you're enjoying this too much. But imagine me turning around to a sorcerer who's got a whole city captivated, who's ripping them off, and, 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 and Paul just sort of kind of ignoring it, basically, ignoring it until it's, Okay. And Paul, being filled with the Holy Spirit, get out of him. Get out of here. Filled with the Holy Spirit. 1352, down the end of the chapter. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. <laughs> I love this one. Acts chapter 6, verse 3. So, okay. Certain people were appointed by Jesus to lead. <laughs> well, and, 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 and in the first instance, God appointed them for Jesus to disciple. Now, you've got you to get this. Jesus didn't have, he didn't say, get me your resumes. And let me see what you've produced. I want your performance. I want your star chart. <laughs> and 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 and, and I, I don't want to see your performance record. I mean, if I had to hand in my school reports, that would have done it then. No, no, no. God says I want you to choose Peter. I want you to choose Judas. Judas? Yes, Judas. I want you to choose Thomas. You know, but he's got. He, he, he didn't got enough faith to blow a paper bag. You know, now, Thomas, okay. I want you to choose John. I want you to choose... They're appointed by God. 
at the highest level to be discipled, to become apostles, in the same way that the apostles say is appoint elders. The whole idea is that God makes appointments, but he doesn't look at the star chart, the performance value. He says, I've got purpose in that person beyond what you understand. Because, and, and Paul puts it another way. Paul says, God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Delirious said it another way, not to put them on the same level as Paul, but, you know, they were good. Delirious put out an album called King of Fools. That's us. Well, it's me anyway, you know. So there's some that are appointed. And our contest with them is only about the fact that God chose them and not us, you know, because we're smarter than them. But when they come to a practical problem in the church, those guys say, we've got to keep to our appointment, but we want you to choose people, to do the business, to do the servant carrying out of the administrative issues. And he says, I want you to choose them. Now, then, then in Acts chapter 6, the apostles say, here's, here's a bit of criteria about this. One is they've got to be full of the Holy Spirit. Bam! To be a deacon, if you like. To be a servant. To be on team. First qualification, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, by handing it over to the people... This isn't the appointment of God. This is the appointment of the people. So they will look at the star charts. They'll look at the performance. Say, who's good with handling the bucks here? Who knows how to administrate to a whole bunch of Hellenistic wives? Their little doll that needs to be handed out to the dolls. Excuse me. See? So from, the, from that level down, it's about expertise, capacity, talent as well. But the high mark that they have to have is full of the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, oh God. The Bible says that Stephen in chapter 7, verse 55, when they were stoning him, when they were rocking him to sleep, it says, Stephen gazed into heaven and being full of the Holy Spirit saw the glory of the Lord, saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Being full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in another text, and it might be up there, oh yes, chapter 11, verse 24, it says about Barnabas, who, who the, the apostles designated to go and pick Paul up and try and make this zealot into a disciple of Jesus and get him, you know, get him going because he's so full of God. And they sent Barnabas to him, who was a man full of the Holy Spirit. Now, now look, 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 look. You've got to see language here. Filled with the Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, if, if that just simply means every Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when I, I, when I grew up in church, there was a controversy about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You hardly hear about it nowadays. But, but back in the day, you know, you, it's, we used to say, if, when you got saved, you got it all. What the pastor used to say to us. There's a strange church up the road. We always talked about, we used euphemistically, we're going up the hill. Which meant that our services were always exactly one hour long. Theirs were like five hours. And they hadn't got past the choruses. They sang hundreds of choruses in two hours. So we could always make it to the end of their chorus session. And then there was the preaching which went on for an hour. Ours was only 20 minutes. But their preaching was hot. And then the problem was after that, they'd have an altar call, which went on and on and on. This church was in revival. It was a small little church. And, it had a, and a pastor who was just wild-eyed, young, had a swishback haircut and pointy-toed boots. And his name, his name was El Fury. <laughs> we couldn't wait to get out of our little other church and get up the street there as young people in the Jesus movement and kaboom! Okay. And these people talk about, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, man, we were all out the front. We wanted this. And we get bam, slam, you know, whatever. We go back to our other church. And they'd sit us down and they'd say, no, you got it all when you got saved, buddy. You don't need that. 
We're going, whatever we got, we didn't get it. Because now we got it. And we know the difference. I'm, I'm, I'm illustrating a point. Being filled with the Spirit has um, experiential, listen to this word, evidential manifestation. Experiential, evidential manifestation. It is experience. You, you know it. You know it. When I got filled with the Spirit, I knew it. Yeah. But I had evidence. These guys at the this, this, this church that I was in, they, they sent us off to this camp with other churches of like minds for these young people, hoping that we'd kind of get calmed down. And I was in this dormitory with all these kids from across the denomination. And um, one, one night, in the middle of the night, I'm woken up with a bucket of water being poured, cold water, big bucket of cold water being poured over my head, out lying on my back. And, you know, when you wake up to that, it's horrible. It's like a, I scream. And I got it. And I sat up. And all these guys scarpered outside of the bunk room. And they were gone. There's me just drenched, you know. And I'm going, I want to knock your block off, you know. But then I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I say, what do you do that for? They said, we wanted to put the fire out. That's what one of them said. We wanted to put your fire out. I said, what are you talking about? He said, there's something about you. There's something about me? You bet there was. I might have been too gabbly about it. I might have been too excited. I might have been insensitive. I might have spoken in tongues when I shouldn't have. I don't know, but I did all of that. But there was evidential stuff. Experiential, evidential manifestation. So choose from among you those who will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Get your deacons to be full of the Holy Spirit. Well, aren't we all filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't we get it all when we get saved? No, actually you get the potential. If it just means you get it all when you get saved, why? It's superfluous to say. It's like saying, choose a Christian to administrate the church stuff. Well, who else are you going to choose on the inside? And Barnabas being a Christian, and Stephen being a Christian, looked into heaven and saw, what a, you know what I'm saying? It's superfluous to say, full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work in the context of the narrative if that only just means they're a Christian. What it's trying to tell you and me is that subsequent to being born of the Holy Spirit, there's a dimension of God's spirit, power, and life that you and I need to be walking into all the time. And if you're getting taken, you know, you know emptied, fill up again. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. Experiential. Yeah, yeah, well, you'll feel. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything. You walk out the door and bam, you're in your car and you're speaking in tongues. You say, Where did that come from? I don't know, but <laughs> it's evidential. <laughs> you know? It comes in different ways overwhelming sense of love, deep peace. With me, it was, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I was just maniacally off the wall drunk in the Holy Spirit when it first hit me. Drunk, like the same symptoms. Sliding against the wall, trying to hold myself up. <laughs> my hands, my hands, my hands, my hands. The guy's looking across the room, what's the matter with you? My hands, my hands, look at my hands. And I was li- and I'd never seen hands lifted in church before I'd gone up the hill. It was a sure sign I was going. My hands were lifting up. I've got to stop. Can't get anywhere near my conclusion here. Just throw that last slide up, Catherine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, the one other time it's used in Scripture, whereas Moses used it descriptively and Luke 13 times descriptively, the Apostle Paul uses it prescriptively, a prescription. He says, here's the deal. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative. It's a, it's, it's a command. A gentle, loving, incredibly good command. It's like telling you, go celebrate. I command you. Go have a really good time. I, command. I mean, there's nothing about this that's, that's, that you really don't want. And Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stand with me right now. 
This is the inside of God on the inside. The Christmas conclusion is God gets on the inside of you. And Luke starts it off. He lights that wick in, in Luke chapter 1 and brings to us what you call the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the, the pneumatology. He, 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 puts the, he puts the seminal moment of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into the text that he writes, the, the full text, Luke and Acts. And he leads us to an understanding with his language that these things are, are important to us. The Apostle Paul, with whom Luke traveled and probably got a lot of his story from, or at least through Paul's context, turns it around in one sentence and says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stop arguing. Stop settling. Stop being satisfied. Stop wandering around in your wilderness thinking, well, I'll just wait till I find another pool. Start to cry out. Fill me, Lord. Start to cry out. Fill me, Lord. Stop harboring those things in your life that are inconsistent with the invasion of the Holy Spirit. Stop tolerating sin. Stop living with your girlfriend. Get married. I'm not telling you to do anything dramatic. I'm just telling you to put it in a way that God can bless it. Stop cheating on your tax. Coming into tax time. Fess up. Fess up. Stop messing around with that guy. He loves you, but he, he loves you physically he's not honoring you stop messing put yourself into a place repent go all the way with God and receive the Holy Ghost in your wilderness cry out oh God in a dry and weary land I cry out I want more I want you let God fill the gaps. Become available. Increasingly available. Surrendered. That we might be filled with the Holy Spirit as a church. Come Holy Spirit, I pray now the spirit of wisdom, spirit of conviction, spirit of revelation will come upon us as a people that you the Holy Spirit will speak to us deeper about these very things that by conviction we'll step into a fresh encounter with you. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us now. Congregationally, just lift your hands and hearts to the Lord and say, yes Lord. Start, start your process. Light the wick that explodes in a tremendous encounter of your spirit and power in my life. Come, Holy Spirit, light the wick in this church this day. Come, Holy Spirit, set a tone for this year. Light the wick. Come on, Holy Ghost, I pray. Something will begin to move upon us by your Spirit upon me. And God, before we see out our days, we see a great move of God. The power of God in the church. You're a visitor here. You might hear people speaking in tongues. That's because we have evidential dimension of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. What about you? There's other evidential dimension. There's prophecy. There's other gifts. There's dimensions. But I know this. That at least three times out of five, when people receive the Holy Spirit, it says... And they spoke with tongues. Seems like a norm. Seems like Luke's saying, hey, I'm saying something here without ever to push it hard. Saying you can have it too. Father, I pray that each and every one of us as a church, as a person, will know the evidential nature of the Spirit in our lives. We'll feel the shift of the gift in us. Come Holy Spirit.
And so let's make first steps, first steps this morning. If you kind of want to just kind of empty yourself, if you want to get on your knees, on your face, I don't care if you do it in the back, the front, but probably the front's the safest place once the kids come storming through the door. And if you want to just say to the Lord, Lord, I empty myself, I make room for you. The beginning of this year, I'm going into a process with you that I might be filled with the Holy Spirit. That it can be said of me, he, and he is filled or she is filled with the Holy Spirit. That it could choose me under that criteria because there's, there's dimensions in me that are evidencing in the output of my life that your power and spirit is on me. You want to make this front here that kind of altar this morning. You come up just while we're worshipping and just give yourself to the Lord. You want to stand here, sit here, lie here, cry here, laugh here, dance here, whatever it is, abandon yourself. Say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. You come. You come. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Just lead us into worship for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The only one that breaks the curses of your name, the one that covers all. Thank you, Lord. It's higher than the others. It's higher than the others. Full of faith and wonder. yourself in amongst those that believe and love Jesus and there are some that I don't know your history, I don't know really where you're at in all of that but we, we love to bring you to a place of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Saviour because this is that part of my message where you're born of the Spirit you're born again, you're renewed from the inside out this is, this is where God conceives His life in you so that you can become potentially filled with the Holy Spirit and do the works of God. Know the power of God in your life in an overwhelming sense. When it comes down to this. You, you, you say, yes, Lord, I want to I surrender that. You are my God. You are my Lord. I, mean, I, I just didn't get there. But Jesus said, he echoed, comment from John the Baptist and he said I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit the Father gives the Son, the Son gives the Holy Spirit it's what you call the economic trinity they work for the same end the end of the gospel is the coming of the Holy Ghost in the people of God for the purposes of God 
That's the Christmas conclusion. God on the inside. You've got God on the inside? You need God on the inside. You need it from an eternal point of view. You need it from a personal walk in life point of view. He wants to be your God to help you. He's alive. So we have this opportunity. Folks are going to be up here praying, seeking God. If you want to give your life to Jesus, just come up when we sing the next song. Just come up. If you want to just surrender again more to the Holy Spirit, just come up. We're going to go to the river. Go to the river, folks. Go to the river. That first song. We're going to go up a bit in tempo. And while all that's happening, you want to make a response, you come on out here. Let me lead you to Jesus. Other than that, come on out here, get on your knees, pray, say, Lord, I'm getting into the process. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to the river. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, right now, just in this closing moment. The power of the Holy Spirit overshadow everything that's going on right now. Issues are sorted out, lives, minds, hearts. Get into gear to respond to you. All the way, all the way, all the way. Thanks for listening. For more information, join us online at c3b.ca. Thanks for listening. For more information, join us online at c3b.ca.